Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Karen Weaver. We're coming off a spectacular 2022 season called March Madness, where all of America stops and pays attention to college basketball, whether it be men or women's. If we're lucky, fans can be treated to magical moments, even magical runs, where a team plays well above its tournament seating. In 2022, St. Peter's University from New Jersey made one of those magical runs as the 15th seed upsetting perennial tourney favorite Kentucky in their opening game, followed by another upset of Murray State. Almost immediately, social media and journalists crowed that these two wins would elevate St. Peter's both financially and reputationally. Wild claims were asserted about what impact a Cinderella run might mean. Conjecture is one thing, but actual analysis and research is quite another. My guests today have actually done the research on the benefits of a run through the NCAA tournament, winning at least two games as the lower seed. They will walk us through what the statistics show and the actual benefits of a winning streak in the postseason. This is especially important information for senior campus leaders who want to separate fact from fiction. Today, I'm joined by Drs. Kurt Rothoff, Trevor Collier, and Nancy Haskell. Dr. Rothoff is a professor of economics and finance at Seton Hall University. Dr. Collier is a dean and professor of economics at the University of Dayton. And Dr. Haskell is an assistant professor of economics also at the University of Dayton. Each are co-authors in the 2020 study, The Cinderella Effect, The Value of Unexpected March Madness Runs as Advertising for the Schools, published in the Journal of Sports Economics. Kurt, Trevor, and Nancy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks. Glad to be here as well. Great to be here. Thanks, Karen. Excellent. So uh, I have to start off with this. How excited were you to see that St. Peter's won their first two games? And did you immediately start thinking about your research from 2020? It was just a couple of years ago. Uh, Trevor, why don't you start off? Were you excited to say, wow, research into practice? I, to be honest, it, it it never crossed my mind until Kurt sent me an article that was that was quoting our our paper, quoted Kurt and, and and talked about our paper, and and I thought, oh wow, that's uh, that's awesome. We're gonna we're gonna get some press here. Um, so that was that was the first time it crossed my mind. It 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 must have crossed Kurt's earlier than me. Um, I. I mean, I, I'm a big sports fan to begin with. Uh, I'm also a researcher, but it's it's fun to watch these sports. And when I did it, when when they were making this run, it was it was fantastic. It was fun to watch. Um, I like talking and thinking about the Cinderella runs, but I never thought it would catch on to the research as it does. Um, I write a lot of papers. Uh, we all write a lot of papers. It's rare that anyone reads them for any useful metric other than our our economics colleagues. So it was absolutely exciting to to hear people start to pick up on, on the feed that we got from, from this research and how it tied into this year. So I think that the timing of the, the research was great. Uh, the timing of the publication was great. And it was nice to see a run right after the paper came out, which uh, people latched onto. So uh, always excited to talk about research. And it was, it was a fun year to, to have a Cinderella run for sure. I'm actually, I'm also from Kentucky, Karen, and grew okay. up a Kentucky Wildcats fan. So <laughs> this was excited about this was the furthest from my mind. They knocked out Kentucky and then, and then they knocked out another Kentucky school. So um, I, I was uh, not, not too excited about either of those until, uh, 
until I realized it was going to be good for our paper. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Nancy, how about you? Are you a, a, a Dayton basketball fan or were you kind of cheering for St. Peter's as well? Um, wow. So I was disappointed Dayton didn't make it in. Um, I'm a Davidson basketball fan. Uh, okay. So I was, I was rooting for them. But um, yeah, no, I was watching the, the end of the St. Peter's game. I was with a group of friends and uh, actually the same group of friends that I had been talking about as we developed this paper and sort of polling the audience, how do you define what a Cinderella school is? And so I did actually think about our research paper. I didn't expect anyone to pick it up on, on media though. So that was really cool. It is very cool. It is very cool. So did St. Peter's fit the typical Cinderella demographic of the kinds of schools you researched in your article and perhaps building on what Nancy just said, what, how did you define Cinderella? So I'll go ahead and talk about did it, did it fit the run and then I'll let uh, Nancy deal with some of the, the data aspects of this. Um, but I mean, the, the idea of Cinderella's and, and what we were looking at with our research was that they're, the Cinderella runs really make a name for themselves when it's a school you've never heard of, um, which is typically a private school, typically a smaller school, um, just because, you know, there, there's times where, you know, Alabama is well known for their football program, but an Alabama team that is, that is lower ranked could make a run in the tournament and be called a Cinderella run. But we wouldn't really expect it to be the name brand. Like everybody knows who Alabama is already from other things. Um, but it, what's unique about basketball is um, there's no FBS, FCS, NFS stuff. It's all one big division one. So when you have over 300 schools in there, uh, there's a lot of schools in there that no one's ever heard of before. So it's these, these small schools or these uh, unknown schools that make the runs that really, really bring out. The, the, the possibility of having something big happen. And I think St. Peter's uh, is, is exactly that, right? I think there are a lot of people in the world who didn't know who St. Peter's was until a few weeks ago. Um, and that's the amazing part about seeing them make these runs in the tournament. Yeah. Nancy, talk us through the research. <laughs> All of it. Uh, well, so, so I think, you know, the first place we had to start was what do you define as a Cinderella school? Um, and we went back and forth on this quite a bit. We sort of know it when we see it in the media, um, but how do we think about operationalizing that um, as, as an actual metric? And um, we decided that they had to be mentioned uh, in the media as a Cinderella school. That was gonna be our baseline definition because the sort of economic mechanism was this media attention. That, that was what was gonna generate these returns potentially in applicants or enrollment. Um, so we were, we went through and we actually hand collected, we hand searched for each year, which schools were, were talked about as Cinderella's or darlings or sweethearts or the tournament. And then we additionally said that they had to, um, win at least two games. So they had to get into additional rounds. So we were sort of thinking about, uh, UMBC upsetting UVA in that first round, but then losing after that. And so. We wanted them to be in people's minds for multiple games. Sort of the definition of a, a run is that you're you're making multiple surprise wins. And so that's where we we sort of settled on that definition. And then as we worked through the paper, we considered sort of alternate versions of the definition and, and found very similar results. And and Trevor, how far back did you go at looking for data? I mean, was it like in the mid-1990s? Was it in 2000? Where did you start? 
think our data runs from 1985 up through 2017. Okay. So, you know, th there were some challenges in in trying to to hand collect the the data from the media. Right in 1985, everything was on paper. In 2017, most of the articles are online, and, and so there, there's obviously a transition happening in between there. And so that's why we played with these other more, you know, quantitative measures of Cinderella to make sure that if we were overlooking some things from, from media citing uh, Cinderella's that there's other definitions that would still support our results. We did I go back though, sorry, Karen. We, we went back and we looked at national news articles um, from those earlier years, we looked at archives. Um, and so our fourth author actually, Elena Baker was a UD student and this project stemmed out of her idea and her senior capstone project in my class. Um, and so she actually, she's the fourth author. She helped us um, hand collect that data from like early news articles. Shout out to Alina. I mean, yeah. you know, senior projects are, are good ideas because they're yeah, thinking oh, about what's relevant. Absolutely. I do have to ask though, 1985, there was something significant during the bowl season in 1984, which people have come to call the Flutie effect. Did that have anything to do with what, what your research was about or was that completely separate because it was football? Kurt, you want to take that? I was going to say, I think that it was the, the Flutie effect certainly has a name, right? I'm actually working on multiple papers with the Flutie effect in the title uh, right now of, of talking about what kind of an impact that has. Um, but I, I think that that wasn't what spurred this research. But I think that when you talk about sports having an effect on the academic side of an institution or having an effect on the institution on the whole outside of the athletic department, um, people often talk about the Flutie effect as, as kind of the, the sparking image of that, right? We've always known that there was some sort of relationship, uh, certainly the, the economics research between the relations of sports and, and the athletic departments and the academic side of the institution go back uh, much further than that. Uh, but at the same time, I think the, the Flutie effect really sparked the, the, the love of the sport showing up in all aspects of, of it. And, and that's certainly a term that's thrown around when you start talking about these link between athletics and academics at an institution. Yeah, yeah. I think else? it plays a role in, in terms of the idea behind the paper, but it, it doesn't impact the results that, that we have. Um, so there's there's been research before ours looking at the impact of of success in football or success in basketball and and what does that mean for for educational institutions but there hasn't been this sort of what happens when it's a surprise what happens when it's a school that wasn't expected to do well and and so that that's sort of the, the impetus for our paper and we do still control for success in football and success in basketball separate from what we call the Cinderella effect, which is this surprise effect. Trevor, let me build on that a little bit because one of the questions I wanted to know was for those listeners who are not researchers by training, give us a sense of how you went about making that differentiation of collecting and analyzing the data. Don't go too far in the weeds, but just give us a sense of how, how that might look. I'll take it. I'll take oh. the early stab at that one, right? Okay. Which is, um, so what we want to do as researchers is, uh, especially as economists, um, I think there's, there's difference in different fields uh, that approach the research. But our goal in economics is to try to isolate uh, an event as much as possible 
uh, within within the data that we have, right? And so, so when we approach the data, um, as Trevor mentioned, we, we needed to control for wins of, of football programs because we don't want um, a, a football season, a good football season to influence uh, the enrollment the next year. And we call it a Cinderella run when really it was these other sports or other events going on, right? So you, we tried our best to control for all the different aspects of the university, um, things like uh, their, their past successes. And this is one of the reasons that within this data, uh, when we analyzed the Cinderella runs, what we did was we separated out public and private institutions as a, as a proxy of just general known names. Um, I think people know what the University of Alabama is or Penn State is. Um, uh, Penn State had a, a what's defined as a Cinderella run in 2001. Um, the University of Missouri had one in 2002. Um, so the we we separated out the the public and private institutions because we expect the the impact of a surprise run to be different on those institutions. Um, but looking at it over the years also allows you to analyze to, to see if there was any kind of enrollment effects right before the Cinderella run. Maybe they were already making momentum enrollments and they had the Cinderella run and people could use that as the reason why their enrollments were going up or why uh, their, their student quality was going up. When in fact, it was already doing that. There was already a trend in that way. And, and the statistics that we use allow us to isolate some of those different things. Uh, so we can, we can take out that trend over multiple years and say, well, what happened the year of the run, uh, which is really the year after the run because of when runs happen relative to the admission cycle. Um, so what happens a year or two afterwards? And then um, and look at that over multiple different schools, over multiple different years, uh, and things like that. Nancy, Trevor, additional comments? I think Kurt explained it pretty well. I mean, so we, the 1985, you asked about that before, that's kind of where our data set was readily available on um, a number of school metrics that we needed, like applications and enrollment. Uh, we also look at SAT scores, um, things like that. And so, you know, I sort of think of it as an on-off switch, right? So we're, we're sort of controlling for everything else that's happening to these schools, other things about the school quality, their trends, um, and then after, if we flip on this Cinderella effect, right, you, you have a surprise run. What happens in the next year or two? Um, everything else equal. And so we're trying to identify what's the average effect across all these different teams that make these Cinderella runs when that switch flips on. Got it, got it, got it. So you pull this data together, you, you kind of create a, a narrow window in which to view the, the data, some parameters, you're able to draw some conclusions. Tell us what the data showed 1985 to 2017, and most importantly, what it did not. I'll, I'll tell you my first surprise. I expected applications to go through the roof. Um, just as a sports fan, as somebody who watches and hears these things, um, and I actually had uh, a nice educated debate with uh, one of my former athletic director friends um, <laughs> who goes, who, who immediately responds and it's like, oh, well, your data is clearly wrong. I mean, look at Gonzaga. The, the Cinderella runs what put him on the map. And, and my response is like, okay, I, 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 I can't argue with that. You're absolutely right. I mean, that's probably one of the things I did. But I go, what about Providence's 87 run or Cleveland State's 86 run or Tulsa in 94 or UT Chattanooga in 97, Davidson in 08, Northern Iowa in 10, OU in 
12. Like, are, are we cherry picking data? Or are we looking at all of it? And, and he didn't, he didn't have a great response coming back to that. But right. Um, I, I expected applications to go through the loop. So my, my surprise in doing all this is that we found data that enrollments increased, um, that the average paid price increased. Um, and that's, that's kind of where the additional revenues come in from making these Cinderella runs. Um, but, but just as a, a, a fan, as somebody who, who's been into sports for a very long period of time, I absolutely expected uh, applications to just go through the roof at these institutions. And we, we didn't find that any evidence of that. Hmm. So, so to, to put that in perspective as well, we still are finding consistent with sort of prior papers that doing well in the tournament results in a bump in applicants. So the, the earlier Pope and Pope 2009 paper that we sort of build off of, they find returns in applicants for advancing into the Sweet 16, the Elite Eight, the Final Four. And so we're finding that, but we're not finding any extra bump from being a surprise, which, is, which I think was surprising to us and that we thought that we would get that extra bump. We don't see the extra bump in applicants, but we do see an extra bump in enrollment where they didn't see that necessarily from, from just advancing in the tournament. Yeah, and I'll, I'll add, I mean, this is, some of this time period, there's massive growth in enrollments uh, across the country. And so, I mean, if you, if you just took a snapshot of applicants in a year that a, that a team made a run and, and applicants two years later, for most of these schools, it's going up, but it might've already been going up in, in advance. And so that, that's, that's one of the reasons to, to use, you know, a, an econometric methodology so that you can control for that. Uh, and, and so what, what we're saying is on average, a Cinderella run in the tournament is not increasing applicants two years later. Uh, it might be, applicants might be going up, but it's not necessarily going up because of the Cinderella run. So, but if the Cinderella run happens in March and you have a May 1st decision dateline for your applicants to accept or, or not accept your offer of admission, Trevor, do you think that that has some sort of impact on it? So, we were very careful with the timing. Uh, and and in, in fact, our, our journal article has a nice graphic in it showing you the, the time frame of, you know, when, when applications are typically due, when the tournament typically happens, when, when students actually matriculate. And so one of the, for us, what we focused a lot on or, or what our results talk a lot about is, is two years later, which is because uh, a basketball tournament. So this year's basketball tournament, 2022, most students have already applied for college before, before this is happening. So in the fall of 22, this is not going to really do much for, for, for an institution, but in the fall of 23, now there, now, now there's been a whole cycle where students have, or potential students have seen the basketball tournament, have heard about these, these teams, and now maybe they're, they're evaluating them in the fall and thinking about uh, applying to, to those schools in, in the future. And the schools can promote the heck out of it, right? I mean, they can talk about that run. Um, and that's something I'd like to hear more about is the ways, all different ways, this type of success is characterized in the media by the institutions, sometimes by presidents, sometimes by basketball coaches themselves about what this means. Um, and I'd love to get your take on all the different ways that people try to quantify 
what these kinds of runs mean. Kurt, you're laughing. What do, what, what do you think? I, I am laughing because um, the, <laughs> the, the thing that I got interviewed first was one of the reasons they called me was because they found our paper after uh, somebody made the comment that this was worth $100 million to yes. St. Peter's. And um, $100 million for a school like St. Peter's is, I, I can't remember if it's their entire year's budget or half of the year's budget, but a major portion of their overall budget. Um, and not what they their, were trying- Not their athletic department budget, right? Their not their, no, the, the entire budget. university yes, right, budget. Right, yes, the, the right. campus budget. Their, their athletic department budget is certainly not that size. Yeah. Um, but the- they were trying to basically say, well, how much would it cost to buy a mention of your school in that kind of prime time and things like that? And it is very expensive, right? So that's typically publicity that you just can't buy, right? You can't walk in and say, ESPN, can you just talk about my school a bunch this evening while you're while you're playing Sports Center? Um, so it's publicity you can't buy, and then they try to quantify it and they say, oh, you know, it would have cost $100 million to try to buy that type of advertising, um, which is fine, but it's also unbuyable advertising, right? That's like saying, I wanna buy the front page of the Wall Street Journal and, and put a big advertisement on it. Like that's just not, that's not what you do. Um, and so they go, oh, it's least worth at least a hundred million dollars. But that that's not, just not, in my mind, that didn't make a lot of sense uh, relative to the budget of the school, relative to, to the way higher ed works. Um, so we do it from an admissions um, and student conversion perspective, uh, which is different than an advertising budget, because my general response is with the numbers we find, uh, it, it, it's probably worth at least a million dollars, maybe a few million dollars if these students stay uh, for all four years. Um, but the, the, the ROI, the return on investment there, if you're spending $100 million on advertising and getting a few million dollars worth of tuition dollars is, is probably not money well spent, right? So uh, one reason that made me laugh. And then the second one that I got, and again, this, this happened at the same time uh, that I was emailing with some athletic director friends of mine who, who said, oh, well, Coach K doesn't agree with you because I think Coach K came out the same time and said it was worth at least $10 million. And I said, well, that's fine. I, and and I, I absolutely admire Coach K and everything that he has done uh, for the sport and for athletics and for colleges in general. Uh, but at the same time, I think that um, asking a coach what their their coaching runs are worth is a, a slightly biased perspective, right? Um, I think that anyone who's trying to justify their job and their massive salaries and, and is walking in going, well, of course I'm worth this much money, which is why you should pay me this much money. Uh, we should question where they're getting their numbers from. But uh, yeah, I mean, the, the thing we don't have as much of, but I wish we had is more donation data um, and, and we don't have that. And I absolutely expect it to have an impact on donations. And, and then we can separately talk about whether athletic donations assist with academic donations or kind of take away some of those academic donations, uh, which I think is a separate topic for another time. But at the same time, um, the, the, the numbers that were posted out there were, were quite massive. Um, and it depends on how they're doing it, right? Again, the marketing side, I, I, don't, I don't disagree that it would have cost $100 million to, to, to get that kind of advertising. But I, I think it's unrealistic to think any school should just go out and drop $100 million to try to buy that type of advertising because the, the returns are not there. What's your take, Nancy? Uh, right in line with Kurt. I mean, I think the return is there, right? We see this, you know, 4.4% bump in, in enrollment a couple of years after, but it's, it's short-lived, right? And so that is a noticeable bump for us, particularly for a small school that are that are generally make up our Cinderella schools. Um, but it's relatively short lived. Um, 
and it's not the type of advertising a school would normally buy in. So I think that's where it's, it's this windfall, if you will, but it's relatively small, relatively short-lived. And I think the other piece of it is that as researchers, we're looking to identify, you know, what's the direct effect that we can measure of a Cinderella run. But we recognize that these Cinderella runs might then result in other decisions by school administrators down the line. Uh, they may end up changing conferences two or three years later if their basketball team is growing. And then there could be other effects to those decisions that maybe started with the Cinderella run, but we're not looking at those. We're trying to identify sort of just from a perspective of a Cinderella run, what, what impacts can we identify? That is a really good point because I do think that people do get a little bit of a head of steam and they think, well, how much better can we be? And, and, and Trevor, as a dean, you're higher up the food chain, if you will, in the academic um, infrastructure. You uh, could very well be privy to some of these conversations about, well, maybe we're better than our conference or maybe we're better than, than this. Maybe we should be putting more resources into men's basketball, for example. Uh, what, what kind of advice do you have for senior leaders who might be going through something like this from an economics perspective? Yeah, so if, if you don't mind, I'm going to take a step back first. I'll, I'll get to your, your question. Yeah. But I think we talked about our paper not finding a change in applicants from a Cinderella run. Nancy just mentioned we do find a bump in first-year enrollment. So I just want to make sure everybody's following along the story of the Cinderella run isn't increasing the number of applicants, but we are finding that two years later, first-year enrollment is, is larger for, for on average for the schools that had the Cinderella run. And so that we, we can't tell you exactly why that happens. There's a number of different things that might be occurring. We think it's an increase in, in yield that of the students that are applying, there's sort of this buzz around the, the university and the school. If you're taking a visit, everybody's talking about how fun the, the tournament run was you know, in the previous year, now these students are more excited about coming. And so you, you get a higher yield on the number of students who, who were admitted, more of them choose to, to actually matriculate. But as Nancy said, it's pretty much, we're finding a, a one year impact. It, it's sort of a one time increase in, in the number of students. And I, I don't have it in front of me, Kurt, maybe you can tell us the, what was the dollar amount you you estimated for St. Peter's based on our um, article? Given, given the St. Peter's tuition and student enrollment, a 4.4% bump uh, translate to a roughly $800,000 uh, in, in net tuition for their freshman year. So, so then if they stayed, right, you multiply that by four if those students were, were to stay. And so if they stay, right, we're talking $3 million, right? Uh, and so if you take from this and say, oh, well, we should invest in our basketball program. So this happens more often, right? Well, St. Peter's coach, I forget the salaries published somewhere. It's, it's he makes like $260,000 a year. They just beat Kentucky. John Calipari makes $8.5 million a year. So they're paying John Calipari more than the benefit we estimate to St. Peter's from this run. So it, it, yes, this is, this is fun. This is exciting for the school not somewhere that I would encourage schools to go invest in your basketball program. So maybe you get a Cinderella run, maybe you get a, a one-time bump in first year enrollment. That, that doesn't seem to make sense. 
Let's see next thing. Yet the excitement is still there, right? The trustees are excited and the fans and alumni are excited. And, and the initial intention is to, is to you know, give something more to the program so that they can continue to do this. But nowadays we have all kinds of competing problems. Number one, um, the St. Peter's coach just left. And Kurt, where did he go? He is now our Seton Hall coach. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome. He's an alum, alum of Seton Hall, if I remember correctly. He is. So, I think he's a 2000 grad. 2000 grad. So, so coaches leave. That changes the dynamic. And then the next thing is we have the transfer portal. And just this morning, we heard of uh, three of the, of the five starters from St. Peter's are now in the transfer portal. So putting your economist hat on and looking at some of the longer term view going forward versus backwards, what do you think these, these dynamics uh, mean for programs that want to become Cinderella's? I'm, I'm really curious. Yeah, I think that's a, a wonderful question. And it's, it's really interesting because in our data, the, the transfer portal didn't exist for most of those years. As anyone who follows College Athletic knows, that's a, a relatively recent phenomenon. Um, but I think the question that I would pose as a researcher, and, and maybe this is future research type stuff, is did, does the Cinderella run mean that you, you show up expecting to see those basketball players play that style or that quality basketball for the next four years? Or, or was it really just a, a brand name image that people who didn't know who St. Peter's was or, or right? I mean, People like going to college students, high school students going to college, like to go to a school where they can go, oh, I'm going here. And, and people are proud of where they're going and, and the other people know where they're going. And I think it gives them uh, some sort of brand name capital. It gives them a brand where people go, oh, I know of St. Peter's or I've heard of St. Peter's. And I think that if it's that side of things, I think the, the effect of the transfer portal uh, is mitigated some. Um, I think that the coaches, I think, are, are typically leave after they make big runs, especially uh, if they're, they're moving up to bigger schools. But uh, yeah, we, we just we don't have the data to, to give a, a true economist answer to that other than pure speculation. But um, if, if it is brand name capital, I think that the, the use for St. Peter's is still there, even with these events going on. Yeah, yeah. Nancy, Trevor, any, any additional thoughts on that? Kurt, spot on, I think, with, with that analysis, right? I, I think it it really is probably about this brand name capital. Um, I mean, you look at any, pick any of these small Cinderella schools, St. Peter's, Davidson College, um, Butler, when they made their runs, and you look at the Google Trends, and just that March of the year when they make their run, it just spikes. Um, and so it's people hearing about these schools that they, they didn't otherwise hear about, not necessarily students coming, expecting to see big basketball runs over and over again. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's outside the scope of what we were looking at, but, but very interesting. I mean, I mean, you, I think you could separate it and say, do, do Cinderella runs benefit the coaches more than the schools? Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, we could potentially go back. Somebody else could depend, potentially go back and look at that. What has happened to coaches after these things have happened? And I mean, just off the top of my head, it happens sometimes it doesn't happen in others, right? Gonzaga's coach has been there for, I don't know, probably 20 plus years, but then there's other instances like this one where the coach leaves immediately after. Um, I can remember Florida Gulf Coast, their coach left pretty soon after and went to USC. Um, but, but that 
that's been happening. So from a coaching perspective, that was happening in our sample. And so our result still, still holds. The new, the transfer portal is new. And so what, what happens to players? And again, this, it, theoretically, this could be good for players if, if, you know, they matured late, became really good, they were on a team, and then now this allows them to go to uh, a school that has more resources that's going to be in the tournament regularly and they get to audition and showcase in, in front of the NBA and, and potentially make the leap uh, to the next level and, and, and make real money playing, playing college basketball or playing professional basketball. Uh, but that might change the results that we're finding. We, we don't know. It's a great it's a great research question. It certainly elevates everybody's brand. And one thing I would add is that I think it can also elevate the school's social media brand if you see them responding kind of in a in a quirky but funny way throughout the tournament. I, I saw that with UMBC when they made the run a couple of years ago against Virginia. Their their social media account just like exploded because people were loving the kinds of comments that were coming out of there. So uh, that, there's another way that schools can kind of capitalize on this. Thoughts on that? Well, I mean, I, we're at the University of, Nancy and I are both at the University of Dayton and, and we, the University of Dayton did not make the NCAA tournament this year. We were really close, but, uh, but the University of Dayton did play Kansas in, in a tournament this year and, and won that game. And so, uh, you know, speaking of, of quirky social media posts, uh, as soon as Kansas won the title, uh, you know, the University of Dayton basketball account was showing videos of, of you know, we made a they made a last second shot to, to win that game and saying, hey, congrats, Kansas. Uh, remember that time we played you in the fall? That was fun. <laughs> you know, so things like things like that are happening. And, and I think sure. it, it's, you know, how many people outside of University of Dayton uh, followers are, are seeing that right now? Probably not that many, but if St. Peter's were to, to put something on social media while they're still in the tournament, yeah. then yeah, a lot of people are paying attention. And, and again, that our time period, right in 85, <laughs> social media didn't exist. They weren't getting a bump from that, but they were probably getting coverage in national, uh, you know, publications. And, and so the, the way in which this manifests into helping the schools has certainly changed over time. Um, but it, at least, in the sample we have on, on average, it, it, it was, it was still helping. Yeah. Yeah. Last question. And this is really looking ahead, but you got to look at the success of the women's basketball tournament in the last couple of years. Uh, I think on uh, uh, Sunday night when they played, they, they had over 5 million households watching their game, which is double what it was the year before. And you look at how some folks are saying that South Carolina is now taking the mantle from the University of Connecticut as the next generation of great basketball programs. Do you think there's a research project anywhere in here for the dynamic and the impact of women's basketball on enrollment, retention, name recognition, that type of thing? Absolutely. I think it's uh, amazing that women's basketball is, uh, women's basketball, women's sports in general are starting to get uh, the airtime, get the the talks and the mentions in in sports. Um, one of my favorite things after basketball season's over is I switch over to softball. Right, I I find softball, college softball, fascinating, uh, and I can't wait to watch college softball into the spring. And um, and as they get more airtime and as they get more mentions and get more views, I think that that has a, a similar effect. Um, we we 
that obviously is, is outside of this line of research, but, but when we're thinking about schools who are, who are being mentioned more, who are being aired more, and who are being discussed more, uh, drawing attention to the school itself, um, I think that that is, is, is an open field that, that's ready to, to explode and ready to have that type of airtime and those mentions and those discussions and, and bring light to those schools. Uh, and they're going to do it through the women's sports because that's growing and growing fast, and, and which is great. And, and it'll be interesting to see where that goes and see what kind of impact it has. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it'll, yeah, I, I, I think it's exciting. Um, you know, thinking of it from a research angle, you know, I, I would probably limit the sample if we were if we were going to do a project like that to, to more recent years because it, it, it's changed so significantly from the coverage that, that women's sports were getting, you know, 20, 25 years ago to, to what they're getting today. And so the, the, those years would not be very, very comparable. Um, but the, the data that we have, you can also um, splice it by female applicants, female en enrollees and, and male. And so that could lead to some additional, you know, interesting conversations or interesting research questions uh, to see if, if uh, the success in, in men's and women's sports are, are having the same effect on, on men and women or young men and women, or, or if, they're, if they're different. Great point, great point. Well, I got to tell you, this has been a fascinating conversation, and I hope we can do it again with your next paper. I hope you'll keep me informed as to as to what you're working on. And and the most important thing is, I I think this podcast helps to take some research into practice and in, into the practitioners that are trying to navigate this crazy world of when a school has this kind of overnight success and what it means so they can make good decisions for the future. So I appreciate your contributions to that. And I, I really look forward to reading uh, some of your um, future research as well. So Trevor, thank you. Kurt, thank you. And Nancy, thank you for joining us. And would I be able to ask one last question? Sure. Trevor, our, our research has gotten a lot, of, a lot of catch, a lot of airtime because of a situation like this. As a Kentucky fan, was it worth your loss on <laughs> Kentucky to get our research noticed? No, never, never. <laughs> Fair enough. He's on record. He's on there record. You go. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate it. Thank Thanks, you Sarah. so much. Thank you.